0: When I first came to faith in Christ in 1974, a lot of things, as you can imagine, were very new to me. One of them is that it uh, struck me for the first time how many churches there were in Oak Ridge. I was living in Oak Ridge, near Oak Ridge anyway, I, and I'd seen them, of course. I, I'd seen the churches all around, but I never really thought about it, but now it seemed like I could see them. There were big ones, and there were little ones, medium-sized ones, there were... The the turnpike seemed full of them all of a sudden. You know, there are churches everywhere. And I thought, you know, having come to this new faith in Christ, I thought, look at all these churches. Am I the last person in Oak Ridge to find out about this? Am I the the only one who didn't know about this, you know, that Jesus died for sins, rose from the dead, and and, uh, am I the last one to know the gospel? But then I, you know, I became a little more, Over the months, I became a little more uh, sophisticated about the church situation. And, and, you know, came to realize that some of the churches preached the gospel, taught the Bible, Uh, but there were some, and and it really seemed to be like the bigger and older, more established ones uh, that didn't seem to believe in the gospel or teach the gospel or believe in the bible or preach the bible at all and it seemed like some of them were just uh kind of going through the motions and and reading and reciting powerful words you know using words that somehow had kind of lost their force on the people's souls i i don't remember being a or not being a part but going to a church that uh... that didn't use the Bible but it seemed like some didn't take it very seriously I I didn't know about a pastor by the name at that time I didn't know about this fellow his name is Vance Havner but I was kind of tracking with one of the quips that he was famous for when he said the problem with many Christians is not that they don't take the Bible literally it's that they don't take it seriously. And I was right there. I was right there with him. And one of them, that major insights on my way to that realization, uh, took place relatively early in my life as a Christian in a, in a local church uh, right here in Oak Ridge, right in this town. Uh, I'm not going to mention the name of it. If you know me, you you, you know it. Uh, but I'm, in, in the sermon here, I'm not going to mention the name of it. But when I became a Christian, my family of origin already had an affiliation with this church. Uh, I, I wouldn't describe my family growing up as a practicing Christian family. Uh, I wouldn't describe us that way now, but but we were an occasional, and what I mean by occasional, we'd get in the habit for a while and we'd get out of the habit for a long longer time, that we we were a church-going family. And, and when we went, this particular church is where we went. When we went, that's where we went. And uh, so, having become a Christian myself, I continued to go there. Uh, but I, but I, ser- soon kind of got the feeling and and got a very certain sense that they uh, that they really didn't. I won't say they didn't believe the gospel because so many didn't like know the gospel. Didn't know what it was so they really probably couldn't tell you whether they believed it or not they just didn't know it what's the basic christian message they were they were just nice church going people who saw value in being involved with other nice church going people and getting together and being nice to each other and doing good things for the church and good things for each other and and good things in the community and uh, they were just They were good people as far as human goodness goes. And I suppose, I suppose most of them were hoping to prove good enough to get to heaven if there is one. Who knows? (laughs) If there is one. But I also discovered in that church there were a few kindred spirits to me. There were some. They really did know the gospel. And they really had a personal faith in Christ as Savior and, and Lord and, and Master. And I, I approached one of those kindred spirits about an idea I had for a Sunday school elective coming up for the... The next semester in this church, they kind of divided up into semesters, you know, and all the had and they had electives like a college sort of a arrangement. And they'd have some things they t- did all the time, some classes that did met all the time and did. But they also had electives, you know, that and I had an idea for an elective. And I talked to one of these kindred spirits and I uh, about it. And I, and I talked to him because he was older than me uh he was as i recall 30 something maybe 40 something and he had a solid history in the church much more solid than mine you know off again on, on again off again and uh, he was he was in there he was like a pillar in the church i was a i was a 22 year old uh you know kind of hair on fire christian of recent vintage you know long on the zeal short on the tact short on the wisdom uh short on gentleness and I sense that that's kind of the feeling, the perception of me in the church. and that's why I thought he was, you know I'm not going to get anywhere saying I would want to lead or teach or facilitate or something. You know, I wasn't in that kind of position, but this guy was. He could he could get he could pull something like this off. And uh, So I talked to him about it. The, the Sunday school class that I had been a part of at the time, was an attempt, and this is not my idea, but this is the one I was involved in at the time. It was an attempt at kind of cross-generational understanding, discussion, communication between the generations, you know, get the young people and the older people, get them together, you know, and let, discuss these uh, generational, g- generational differences. And the way we're going to do that was through listening to each other's music. We're going to listen to each, in the Sunday school class, we're going to listen to each other's music, and then you know you got the old geezers and the young punks, you know, and they get together in the classroom and they listen to each other's music and then open up the floor for observations and questions and discussions, and we're going to come to a common understanding this way. What could go wrong, right? This is, you know, as I've thought about, this is even a worse idea than my idea for a New Year's resolution exchange. <laughs> So we, I remember one of the young people's offerings was the Beatles' While My Guitar Gently Weeps. You know, While My Guitar Gently Weeps? Who knows the song? That's yeah, a great song. It's a great song. It's, got, it, it's a great song. with, And really, the best thing apart, it's got this great, long, extended uh, guitar solo. And it wraps up with, Oh, it's awesome. It's air guitar worthy, you know. It's it's uh <laughs> what what's that game? Uh Rock here, Guitar Hero. It's guitar hero worthy. You know, it's a great, a great uh uh guitar solo at the end. But we're the song itself, were it a psalm, it would be a lament psalm. So you, you know, picture this where we're uh we're all there in the you know there's got the older people this is 1970 you know so the, it'd be the the older people would be like the world war ii generation you know that they're it was they were they were young like we, we were they were in their 20s in the world war ii time and you know we were you know i was 22 at the time myself and the, these lyrics of this while my guitar gently whipped they wept whip, they weeps they uh they seem to us as you're know, like the the epitome of art and the the apex of pro, profundity, you know, it was profound. It was great. I look at you all. Can you hear it? Some of you can hear these words, you know, hear and being sung. I look at you all and see the love there that's sleeping while my guitar gently weeps. I look at the floor and I see it needs sweeping. Still my guitar gently weeps. You know, the next next verse, I look at the world and I notice it's turning while my guitar gently weeps. With every mistake, we must surely be learning. Still, my guitar gently weeps. And then there are the lyrics. You know, we listen to the whole thing. It's like a longer song. It's like four minutes or four and a half minutes, something. And there are those lyrics that accompany that are kind of behind this tremendous guitar solo at the end that went like this. Oh, 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 oh. Oh, oh, wait a minute. Oh. (laughs) And right after that, there's "Yeah, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, yeah. Oh, ooh. Then come the adults with their questions and their comments. Now comes the understanding part, you know. The discussion part. The communication. Why doesn't he stop playing his guitar and do something? He sees the floor needs sweeping. Pick up a broom. If the world's so fouled up, what are the lessons we should be learning? And with every mistake we must surely be learning Okay, open for suggestions <laughs> You hippies, you know, you, you wanna you wanna put the guns in the you wanna put the daisies in the barrels of the guns at Kent State, you know, in the National Guard. You know what? That wouldn't have worked against the Nazis, let me tell you. <laughs> what wisdom do we have to learn? from you, besides a weeping guitar. Okay, well, you know, we got through that. Then the geezers, well, I'm sorry. They played for us something that was popular in the same way when they were our age. And it was something, as memory serves, it was something like Kate Smith and uh god it was i think it was kate smith's god bless america you know large woman big voice belting out big band kind of sound god bless america land that i love and we and no guitar weeping or otherwise <laughs> and the young people there you know these 20 somethings late teenagers post high school but they're sitting rolling her eyes. Uh, you gotta be kidding me. This was like top forty? Top forty? Yeah, it was number one. Was a, uh, for a long time. Rolling her eyes and whispering to each other, snickering about like, can you believe this? What and I and I remember, you know, just slouching, you know, slumping, you know, just nothing. And I remember one of the Sunday school ladies kind of going off. And kind of called us all on it. It's like I don't remember what she said, but it was something on the order like, hey, we listen to your garbage. We listen to you, know, you can you can sit still for some real music. You know, you can sit still. We talked about your stuff. So so that was this that was a class I'm involved in. You know, I was in in this Sunday school class, which was for fostering understanding between the generations which maybe they did understand each other better after that. I don't know if it wasn't good. But <laughs> so against that backdrop, I thought that my idea for a Sunday school class was a good one. I proposed, not formally, but to this guy who could really make it happen, who was kind of like me in my terms of faith, kind of like you in terms of faith, too, uh, I proposed a new adult elective on the Apostles' Creed, uh, the call and the call to worship, and this is why I reminded myself, you know, to, let's start with what, you know, with this uh, call to worship that we have in the front of the hymnal, which is largely based on—it's not the Apostles' Creed exactly, but it's largely based on the Apostles' Creed, this ancient statement of faith. And we could break, I don't remember how many weeks we're in an elective, you know, nine weeks, ten weeks, twelve weeks, whatever it was. We could break up the Apostles' Creed into phrases and, do, and each one would be a lesson. Each one would be a, a class topic. We believe in God the Father Almighty, My, Mighty Maker of Heaven and Earth. There's a week. There's a class. We believe in Jesus Christ, His only begotten Son, our Lord. There's another class. And we could just go through it. And, you know, the creed, it takes you through the virgin birth of Christ, his, his suffering, his death, his resurrection, his bodily ascension into heaven, his present priestly ministry at the right hand of God, his return to earth someday. Tremendous, wonderful, powerful truths that have tremendous implications for every person and every day. And the answer, I, I float this proposal, and, and the answer t- just shocked me. It was really part of my learning the lay of the land. <laughs> that, ooh, that'd be controversial. That's caused trouble, upset. It'd make waves. And I remember saying, too controversial, It's in the book of prayer that we use every week and every person in this church stands up and recites it from the worship book every single week they're here. They stand up. We believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and we believe in Jesus Christ, his only begotten Son. Yeah, but if you start really talking about and peeling back and what all that stuff means it's it's going to make waves that's going to it's going to be a problem it's easier than people realize to become so familiar with religious words that we're used to hearing and we're even used to saying we're used to reading and uh, kind of ritual pronouncements. And they, and we almo- it's almost, I wonder if it's a function of familiarity where we become so familiar with them that they lose their connection to uh, our real beliefs, what we really think is true, and our real behaviors. And some other church across town is not uh, the only one susceptible to that across the ages Uh, people are have always been susceptible to uh, losing the connection the real life connection between what they believe and how they behave and the uh, and the things that they say in a religious context as the things that they believe the most deeply and the most God spoke to Isaiah, seven centuries before Christ is born. Man, you you, just, you know this. He says, as the Jewish nation, this people draws near. This is God speaking. This people draws near me with their words and honors me with their lip service, but they remove their hearts far from me, and their reverence for me consists of tradition learned by rote. So if it can happen to God's chosen people <laughs> that he gave the, you know, he gave the, When he gave the Ten Commandments, it was like from the hand of God to them, you know, and they had the prophets. If it can happen to them, God's special covenant people, it can happen to anybody. I have uh, I've set out this year to kind of urge on you a resolution uh, for the new year to pray more, you know, to pray more consistently formal, habitual settings like your prayer time if you have one like the time of day when you're going to you know almost everybody can say I could be more consistent than that. I could I could uh, I've been more consistent than that. you know almost everybody can say I, I can I can see a need to do that more and to pray more informally spontaneously unplanned uh, to apply prayer to more spheres of life beyond who's sick and who's traveling To get by, to get beyond God's to-do list, you know, and like this prayer, okay, here are the things we want you to do. We'd like you to do. And, and I and I realize that coming out like this in favor of prayer and more prayer in a context like this one is the most uncontroversial thing I could ever do. <laughs> I, you know, it's it, this is surly preaching to the choir, right? Surely everybody is in favor of prayer and more prayer. But like my full grand, full full-grown adult friend at that church that I was talking to you about, we won't be forced to confront the possible painful gap between the biblical prescriptions and the biblical descriptions of prayer in our own true beliefs and our own actual practices until we look at it closely and not only look at it closely but look at it seriously you know just to not just take the Bible literally but to take it seriously and so as we go through this study of sample prayers from Psalms which is what we're doing and we're not committed to do it every single week until we're finished. We might take a break or two, but this, but I want to to keep on talking about this. I mean, as we do it, we're talking about moods of prayer, whether you're in a praying mood or not. And of course, one of the things I, the, one of the main things I hope to show is that no matter what mood you're in, you're in a mood for prayer if you go by the Psalms. But as we do that, look at it closely and try and, and see if there's a gap. Between that prayer and my prayer, that prayer and our kind of prayer, is that how I pray? Is that how I ever pray? Is that how I pray when I'm in a similar circumstances, in a certain, in that kind of mood? And they're not all the same, you know. They're not all the same at all. Is that how we pray? Is that how we pray as a church? Is that how we or I do prayer? Last week we went through partially, we didn't get really do the whole thing, but we went through a a praise psalm, Psalm 145, basically a prayer of praise to God, 21 verses, not one request in it that I could see. Not one prayer request in it. We can read that psalm, we think it's wonderful, and it is. And fail to reflect on the possible fact that we've never done that. You know, I I wonder if you've ever done it. It is a pretty tough exercise, and it's a really a pretty good exercise to pray through a psalm like Psalm 45 you know and and read it as a prayer from you to to God and if you see a phrase that doesn't quite fit your life and your your heart to substitute something like it because it's uh it's pretty hard sometimes to pray, if you just do it for an exercise to pray a prayer that would be 21 verses take 4 minutes or so to read or to recite that doesn't have one request We, we tend to be not so good at saying you are before we say will you. <laughs> we're not we're not as good at the you are part. Uh, so there's so there's room for growth and development here in most Christians lives. Even if even if you'd read the Psalms, you'd say, hey, man, oh, that's great. That's great. I need that on the on the wall. You know, I need that song. <laughs> but I thought recognize we, that's not what we do. So beautiful words, but we don't do it like that. Uh, today's short psalm, just a few minutes. It's classified as a lament psalm. It's kind of like, while my guitar gently weeps. That would be a lament psalm. And there, are, there are things to see and learn in how David. And this is not the only lament psalm. There are other things to learn from other lament psalms. But there are things to learn here, and it's Psalm 63 is where we're going. There, there are things to do in prayer. You know, I say, well, mood for prayer. I'm a praying mood. Troubled, troubled. This is a lament prayer. And there, there are things to remember and things to see about how to do this. And I'm going to just mention five very briefly. We don't have many minutes left, but here's the first. Let your troubles or your problems, your difficulties, your unmet needs, feed your longing for God the setting of the psalm psalm 63 and I do you good today to turn to it in the bible or your or the pew bible is probably handy to you there it says a psalm of david when he was in the wilderness of judah well that probably describes it most probably describes king david's when when king david's son absalom had rebelled and david was running for his life from his own son so if that was it it's obviously a time of physical danger for david it's also a time of heartache, his own son had rebelled against him to that point where he sought his life. It was also a time when it surely could have seen that David's past failures as a father, as a leader, had, that it was uh, coming home to roost, right? The things that he had done wrong were coming back to bite him. It was also a time when he was away from creature comforts he wasn't sleeping in the palace, he wasn't in a king-size bed, he didn't have any bed. He was out running for his life. No no feast fit for a king. Not if you take it if you take it uh, you could take it here that he doesn't even have any water. And it was also a time when God could have seemed far away, He's far from the sanctuary. He's far from the ark of the covenant. And and, and it strikes me that king david could have done what a lot of people do he could have let his problems a lot of people do this let their problems drive them away from god very common for people to in david's kind of situation and lesser situations than that say what what do i need god for he's not doing anything for me I'm doing my part, I'm going to church, I'm volunteering, I'm doing whatever, I'm giving money. He's fallen on down on his end to bless me, so why did he, you know, why? Do, I don't know. I'm in no mood to go to God. What's he done for me lately? Why did he let this happen? Why would I pray? My prayers, apparently, have all been answered No. <laughs> Health problems, family problems, like David had heartaches, financial problems, disappointments, being in places you never thought you, you, you never thought you'd be there, and it's not pleasant. Remember Tevye from uh, Fiddler on the Roof? He said uh, something like he said said Lord, I know we are the chosen people, but Couldn't you at least sometimes choose somebody else? (laughs) And it says something that when David was thirsty, he's troubled, heartbroken, he recognized that his deepest need is for God himself. Here's the first verse. Oh, God, you are my God. Earnestly, I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you in a dry and weary land where there is no water. I, I've noticed here that, that David's need, he sees his need as for God himself. Not so much what God will do for him, but for God himself. His nearness, his presence. But that's first. Let your problems drive you to God. Not away from him, to, to him. I know you have problems, I know you have disappointments, you have heartaches, you have needs. Man was born for trouble, the sparks fly upward. Some of you guys, I know what the real thing is in your life, the hardships and everything. Some I don't, but I know you've got them. Let them drive it to you, God. Let it drive it to you, to God, not away from Him. Here's second. When you're troubled, remember before the Lord your best spiritual experiences. Look at the next verse. So I have looked upon you, I have looked upon you in the sanctuary. He's not in the sanctuary, now he can't go close to the sanctuary, he'd be killed. I have looked upon you in the sanctuary, beholding your power and glory. I, I I don't know anyone, and you probably don't know anyone, whose spiritual experience is entirely even. You know, like it's the same way all the time. There are times when God feels near. There are times when His the fellowship seems sweet, and when our worship time just kind of carries up out, carries us out of this place or wherever we might be. To it's like we're in the holy of holies. You know, it's, it's, it lifts us up. There, there are. Uh, times when our you know we read the scripture and it just wow it just it was particularly rich in the way it ministers to us at the time you think sometimes wow isn't god good he leads me to this passage this passage boy it's what i needed and can you have spiritual experiences like that and then are enter in right at not right after but after enter a time of spiritual dryness when God seems and feels far away is that possible yes <laughs> it's not only possible it's it's the way it is i I know of a christian teacher he's he's with the Lord now but you you many of you would be familiar with the name uh, successful, insightful, motivational, funny. And I heard this man confess one time that some of his most effective times of ministry, you know, spiritual high points were often followed by a uh, a tremendous depression. So when that kind of dryness comes uh, don't disparage your former experiences the, the, you know like that didn't last i guess you know <laughs> i was a flash in the pan he uh, said hang on to it remember it treasure it you know he says it says uh, you and you'll be back there sooner you'll be back there yeah I remember how it was with us lord <laughs> and that's happening again third reflect on the blessings that you have that your troubles have not and cannot take away. Look at the next couple of verses, 3 and 4. Because your steadfast love is better than life, my lips will praise you. My, love, my lips will praise you. So I will bless you as long as I live. In your name I will lift up my hands. David's life's in danger to be sure. But God's commitment of love for us is better than life. Life is good. can be hard, though. And the good life that we have is kind of tenuously held, easily lost. But even if we lose our lives, God in his steadfast love, his loving kindness, his covenant love, that's not lost. Nothing can threaten it. And, you know, when you lament and trouble, there are things that you have in your life that that those troubles can't take away. Uh, New Testament, Romans 8, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or peril, or sword? But in all these things we overwhelmingly conquer through him who loved us. For I'm convinced that neither death nor life nor angels nor principalities nor things present nor things to come nor powers nor height nor death nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. So before the Lord, I'm troubled. Mood, I'm troubled, Lord. I got problems. Don't forget that there are things about you because of what Christ has done for you, because of what's coming for you, the promise has been made, that none of those troubles can take away. I don't care what they are. I can't take it away. Fourth, trust in his watch care, entrust yourself to it, rest in it by faith. Look at the next few verses, starting verse 5. My soul will be satisfied as with fat and rich food. My soul will be satisfied. Is it now? No. My mouth will praise you with joyful lips. He's not joyful right now. When I remember you upon my bed, meditate on you in the watches of the night, for you have been my help, and in the shadow of your wings I will sing for joy. My soul clings to you. You you your right hand upholds me. The watches of the night. There's a dear member here, some some of you will remember, but I'll, Madeline Frazier told me she had been diagnosed with cancer, and she told me that the hardest times were in the quiet of the night, when there are no voices, there's no attention, there's just quietness, and the sheer magnitude of the you know what was wrong with her, and it would just overwhelm her. In my own uh, trial over the past year or so, I haven't had I haven't had much of that. But you know, when I did have it, when our little granddaughter was week after week between life and death, it was up to you. Some of you remarked about some of my blog posts at that time that were posted at 3.30 a.m., 4.15 (laughs) a.m. Remember the spiritual high points. Trust in his watch care. Trust in his watch care. This is what David does in his dark night of his own soul. My soul will be satisfied. My mouth will praise you. Though I die out here, it won't be the end of me. You know, when uh, in the shadow of thy wings I will sing for joy, my soul clings to you. You know, this, this, there's coming, when you're troubled like that, you know, you go to the Lord in prayer, This you can't let go of this, you can't lose sight of this. There is coming a time for you when you'll look back on everything, and I don't believe that we'll ever call the bad thing good, purely evil things good, but you'll look back and you see that your whole life story is one of God's goodness and faithfulness and, and, and grace and mercy. And even when you're in that troubled time, and you come to Him in prayer, you're not there now. But that's where you're. That's what's going to be. That's where you're going to end up. And finally, last thing. Trust the Lord to deal with your enemies. And there are other Psalms that deal with this more fully. And we're not kind of skating on this kind of easy, uh, easy kind of verse. There's some harder ones that we'll talk about. But look at that. How this ends. Those who seek to destroy my life shall go down into the depths of the earth. They shall be given over to the power of the sword. They shall shall be a portion for jackals. But the king shall rejoice in God. All who swear by him shall exult, for the mouths of liars will be stopped. I want you to notice, we'll deal with this kind of thing more fully, but notice that this is not a vow of vengeance. I will kill them. (laughs) who seek my life you know i will slay them i'll get even it's not that it's just a statement of fact based on god's faithfulness to him you remember how david was careful not to lift his hand against saul god'll take care god'll take care of this leave room for the vengeance of god and david knows that god is faithful and just and he's content to rest in that and to entrust his enemies to you know leave them to the lord New Testament, never take your own vengeance, beloved, but leave room for the wrath of God, for it is written, vengeance is mine, I'll repay, says the Lord. So put God in charge of settling your accounts. There's a tremendous freedom in that. You know, letting God take care of settling your accounts, as he will. Turn your enemies over to God to deal with, just trust him to be just. All right, so here here it is, in your... You're not like Psalm 145 happy. You're Psalm 63 troubled. It's, you're in a mess. Here's what to do: let that drive you to God. Not like it happens with so many, drive him away. I ain't praying to God now. He's not done any favors for me lately. He's let this all this stuff happen. Let it drive you to God. Remember those spiritual high points that you've had in the past and know you are getting back there. That's where you're going to be again. Account the blessings you already have. and You know, you have blessings that the present troubles, even if the worst thing happens, won't take away. Can't take away. And trust yourself to God's watch care, knowing knowing that your life story has its own details, but it is a story of God's goodness and grace, mercy, kindness, faithfulness, love. And leave your enemies for God to deal with. That's a lot more than a weeping guitar, isn't it? That's a lament, too. But it's a lot more than, oh, 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 oh. (laughs) Uh, Lord, uh, teach us to pray. Uh, We know how, (laughs) but teach us to pray like a psalmist. Uh, Teach us to pray like our Savior and Lord. Uh, Teach us to pray like Christians who take the Bible seriously and not merely literally. Literally. And increase our faith for doing just that. And Lord, we pray for any whose troubles have driven them away from you. Uh, bring them back. We confess that our troubles have sometimes done the same to us. Thank you for bringing us back. And help us to remember the, the mountaintops when when we're down in the valley. Uh, help us to entrust ourselves as well as those who mean us ill, to you, faithful and just in all you do. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen.